Good evening, everyone. Evening. Uh, as uh, I look over the next few weeks, and uh, as the anniversary gift to, is to for me to go to Israel for the first time, so I've been watching uh, the news coming out of Israel, and uh, they're certainly having some some challenges there. Uh, they always do in the Middle East, but in particular, uh, now challenges with their own democracy and their people and the numbers of people gathering and protesting. And um, I thought, oh, you know, uh, I'm going to pray and Jesus can go and calm them down. And I'm like, or um, the burning bush <laughs> uh, or the pillar of fire because they're Jewish, right? They're not Christians. They're Jewish for the most part. I'm like, uh, Adonai can go. Um, and so my friends, uh, I looked at the gospel, and there are a number of times in the life of Jesus of Nazareth when the crowd around him was getting out of hand, uh, fever-pitched, if you will, about things. And uh, it seems that uh, this is what is being presented in the gospel today. We are told there's a large crowd, and the energy is high. <laughs> uh, and perhaps the crowd is about to try and make Jesus king again. Remember, they just fed, been fed by him. And uh, Jesus isn't there to be the king that they think. Uh, they, they're thinking political ruler. And so he doesn't want that. Perhaps the apostles are caught up in the same fervor also. Uh, maybe that is why Jesus, I'm using the gospel, made them. He made the apostles get into the boat and head across the water to the other side. Then he alone, uh, the word used is dismiss, and there's not too much variance on that, but I believe Jesus is calming the crowd. He sends his apostles away to the other side, and he calms them down, and then he goes and prays. A bit later, Jesus is involved in another incident. This time, it's the calming of the storm, the winds, the water uh, that threatened to overpower a boat. Everyone's looking at uh, whether he was calming the crowd or calming the sea. Uh, I think part of the point of the gospel story is that Jesus enters into our lives and events and responds appropriately to the different situations. Sometimes we don't particularly like the way he's done it, but when you get to heaven, you can ask him about it. But you won't. <laughs> My friends, on our part, um, there is something that is required um, to trust and have confidence in Christ. As Christians, we are called to do this in all situations, in all times, no matter what. So I suspect one of the lessons we learned from Peter and the apostles' lack of confidence and trust on that lake um, is for us to look at and to discern and pray about. My friends, they were in a small boat when the squall breaks over the lake. It must be a small ship, uh, if you will, a small boat, uh, and it probably is taking on water. No, they're fishermen. This is the other piece. Remember, they're fishermen. You wouldn't think that this would jar them, but it does. So it must be, maybe the boat is really taking on a lot of water. We are told they become terrified. My friends, at the beginning of the gospel, it just says Jesus fed them. But recall that Jesus has fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children, Matthew 14, 21. 
if he could feed that many people, remember how he did it? A couple loaves of bread and a couple fish for probably 10,000 people. Most caterers would love that. If he could do this, why should the apostles, he had just done it, and this is why I think the crowd is worked up. Uh, if they had just done this, why are the apostles, why do they have such doubt? Why do they doubt that he could make the waves calm for a handful of his friends in a small boat on a rich, and uh, looking at it, it's, a sea, we call it, it's called the Sea of Galilee, but it's really the Lake of Galilee. It's not a sea at all, it's a lake. My friends, even after the calming of the waves, Peter uh, is challenged. But he says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. The response of Jesus, come. But after a moment, Peter begins to sink. He cries out, Lord, save me. Noted in the gospel account is that Jesus immediately responds. He reaches out his hand and grasps Peter. My friends, one of these things is our Lord does not react as you and I might react towards family and friends who are distrusting of us. It's kind of insulting when some father, I don't trust you. Oh, ow, that hurts, right? Um, we might say, or maybe if I was in that situation, no, let him let them sink a little bit more. That'll teach them. <laughs> but the scriptures don't say that about Jesus. He responds immediately and appropriately to that situation. And the scriptures uh, tell us, you know, courage, do not be afraid. It is I. Read between the lines. Trust me, Peter. The Lord seems to be putting forth that um, in this moment, he was saying, I am present now and always. And he is present in the storms of your life as much as he is in the silent times of our lives. So we are to put his, our trust in him at all times. And my friends, even when we fail at something, and I do, God is there. And this, in the end, is what saves us, God. Perhaps the storm, and by storms, I don't mean just like what happened to Peter. There are other things that cause us storms. I'm going to put forth to you, particularly in these times, one of the storms that comes is the time when many people separate themselves from Christ. They don't pray anymore. They don't go to church anymore. They've certainly distanced themselves from other Catholics. They go about it alone, trying to figure things out and in their own manner. So often, um, we can focus only on the storm that is in our life and the size of the waves that are trying, challenging us, and not on Jesus and what he teaches about everything. We look only to ourselves and not to the Lord and we begin to sink. But the Lord is there with us. This is the case in the first reading. 
the great prophet Elijah is sent with a message as the prophet of God. However, at some point, he adopts a very militant and even vicious approach in his battle against idolatry. We don't have, you'd have to read the story to understand, so, and I don't want to go and read the whole story to you, but um, God sends him, he goes, and he gets a bit arrogant about things, and he starts doing things his way. Um, and this causes a response from the royalty, <laughs> especially the queen, <laughs> and that sends Elijah running. He is running away. And uh, he takes refuge in a cage, and that's where the first reading opens up. He's at a cave. And it is there in the cave, in the silence of the cave, that he encounters God. Too much activity was going on for the prophet, and he wasn't paying attention to God anymore. He was going about what he thought God wanted, but appears in the wrong way. And there, God teaches him that God's ways are not man's ways. And one of the ways he proves it is uh, we are given a list of things. There was a bunch of noise, a bunch of rocks, a bunch of thunder. But God was not there, but simply in the breeze. Whoosh. To which Elijah is like, yep, that's why he covered up. Yep, that's, that's him. The examples of the prophet Elijah and the apostle Peter represents the typical modern-day disciple caught between faith and doubt. In our Lord's rebuke, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Friends, doubt, uh, the word being used, English doubt, you understand it, but uh, it has another meaning, and I believe that is what Jesus was Getting at when he said doubt there, a doubt has a uh, means of two minds. Why do you have two minds? Why do you have division within you? Do you either trust me or you don't? <laughs> I know people are like, Father, not everything's so black and white. No, but sometimes it is, actually. And, uh, my friends, um, I believe those words are directed to us. You, of little faith, why do you doubt? We often start off very courageously and in faith only to lose heart when we are faced particularly with challenges. So we look to Jesus. What did he do? He sent his buddies off into the water. He calmed the people down, told them to hush, You'd see him later, and then he went and prayed. So we should pray. Now, Jesus went to the mountain. You certainly can go to Mount Rainier if you'd like, but I'm going to suggest the church. The church, the symbol for the church is a boat. So it's no coincidence what Matthew is doing with this. The church is built not only for calm and joyous times, but also for storms, and each epoch has its storms. We're in one now. The whole priest scandal has been an absolute nightmare that doesn't seem to end. But the church, head by Christ, is still holy. 
and it's still a place for you to come, not only when the creeks are calm, but also when the ocean seems deep. The church is not only for a few select people, but for the whole human race, anyone who would come. The church is a sturdy boat that has lasted thousands of years and has helped billions of people. And that is no exaggeration, billions of people. Just as in stormy waters, one clings on to a boat even more tightly, you and I should do the same with church, with our faith, with our Catholic traditions. These readings teach us there are two places where the Lord is part of our life, in the silence and in the storms. Two places where every single person can meet the Lord are in the silence and in the storm. Christ is there, both. And my friends, I tell you, and most assuredly, he is in his church always. Always available. Always there. St. Brendan, the navigator, had this prayer, and maybe it would work for us in certain times. It is written, he prayed, Help me, O God, for my boat is so small, and your sea is so great. Prince St. Paul in the second reading said he suffers uh, because of the unbelievers, not because they're doing anything to him, but because, not necessarily, there's, he suffers because they don't understand and don't believe and understand that great love that they're missing out of. And he said, I gladly suffer for them. So my friends, uh, we too, those words are living words, we too suffer at the hands of the unbelievers. But our response to them is love and prayer and to show them about the love of God, not the hatred that the world speaks about, but his love, his compassion and his mercy and his desire to be in communion with every single person. Tell them that, and maybe there'll be less of the unbelievers. 